0: Hello everybody, it is Nick here again. Welcome to Scale Up for another week. Do you know what? I could have almost said welcome to Scale Up Your Business because today we have a guest on the show that's gonna take you through the journey of startup to scale up to my favorite end of topic to exit. So for those of you who have been following the show for a long time, we used to be called Scale Up Your Business and today is a masterclass in that entire journey. So today's guest is Simon Duffy. Now you may have heard that name before, particularly if you're in the UK, because he started a very, very popular brand here called Bulldog, which became literally the UK's largest men's skincare brand. In fact, it might still be. But he eventually scaled that to exit in 2016 where he sold the business to Edgewell Personal Care and now Bulldog has expanded into 31 countries. And I believe today is a nine-figure business globally in retail sales. Now, I knew Simon was coming on and he wanted to talk about, obviously, Bulldog. But he also wanted to talk about his new venture because he has started another business. Not only has he scaled to exit, he's decided to do the whole thing again. And he has a new business called Waken Mouth Care which is a line of sustainable, vegan-friendly and carbon-neutral dental care products. But actually, if you go to the website, Wake and Mouth Care, you'll see it's much more than that. It's a brand where, aesthetically, it looks damn good on your sink, right, in your bathroom and has absolutely got the attention of Amazon Boots and editors of some of the, the biggest magazines in the world. But do you know what? I can't bring a guy like Simon onto the show, someone who has absolutely done the stuff that I preach about day in and day out, or certainly year in and year out. So I thought, you know what, today we are going to go through the whole process. How he came up with the idea, why he left the world of corporate to start his own brands. Sounds familiar, right? Other people have done that, like me. Um, the humble beginnings of his entrepreneurial journey and how he persevered to get his ideas out into what is a very Crowded, saturated market.
1: Bulldog pioneered natural and sustainable skincare for men and Waken's doing a similar thing in dental. And I think that if you look at both those categories, there's similarities, but the one thing that uh, screams out to me is that the incumbent brands, the brands that are there already are very much rooted in the past.
0: What inspired the concept of Bulldog and what has now taken him into his new project of Waken Mouth Care. And we're going to also get into... You know, the the mindset of what it takes to go through the resiliency, the grit, the challenges of startup to scale up, and why you have to change as both an entrepreneur and a leader to be successful.
1: There is, I would say, for every 20 people I meet who have an idea, a great idea or a good idea, uh, I'd like to say one of them actually get around to starting.
0: So, who is this for today? If you've got a business, that you're starting, if you've got a business that you're scaling, if you have a business that you want to exit at some point in the future, this is a guy who has been there, done it, got the t-shirt. So I am very, very glad to welcome to the show today to Scale Up with Nick Bradley, Mr. Simon Duffin. Hey, everybody. It is Nick Bradley here. Welcome again to Scale Up with me, Nick Bradley. And today we have an awesome guest, someone who actually was going to be coming on the show a few weeks back. But as things happen, we're getting through global pandemics and craziness and all this sort of thing. It's been delayed, but that's good for this because he's been doing some cool stuff since then. So today on the show is Simon Duffy. Welcome, sir.
1: Very pleased to be
0: here, Nick. Thank you for having me. Mate, it's awesome. Okay, so we're going to kick off with a quote that I found in my research. You ready? The opportunities that interest me most, okay, are the ones that involve disrupting a big market with a more sustainable version of the future. That's like massive. (laughs) (laughs) So talk to me about that, right? Because you've done it with one brand, um, Bulldog, which you exited um, a little while ago. We can talk about that. And now you have another brand, that's you know on its journey and, and you said before we press record it could even be bigger so yeah so tell me about this mission tell me about how you why you want to do this and all that stuff
1: you know bulldog pioneered natural and sustainable skincare for men and wakens doing a similar thing in dental um and i think that if you look at both those categories there's similarities but the one thing that uh, screams out to me is that the incumbent brands, the brands that are there already, are very much rooted in the past. And, and by that, I'm thinking about how they think about sustainability, how they think about ingredients. And it felt particularly in dental that there's just a huge mismatch between where the world's going, what what consumers want, and the version of these products that the biggest companies are, are sort of providing to people. And that, for me, is just a huge opportunity to do something cool. I mean, I remember after we sold Bulldog and then we worked for the company that bought Bulldog for a couple of years and I was I was talking to my friends and they'd be saying hey have you got any new ideas what you doing next and I was like well yeah I'm starting to have an idea and they're like oh exciting what's it going to be and I remember saying well you know what we're pretty excited about mouthwash and they would say well you know first of all I'd look at their face they'd start to nod slowly and I could just see the energy and excitement just sort of draining out of their faces and it's such a low interest category was sort of the feedback I got from these people like why would you do why Would you go and do something as
0: well? Let's as get that. into that then. Why, yeah? So, I mean, because well, like, think... like, just to be clear, like, you know, so, so for the YouTube channel, I'm holding up Bulldog here, right? Because I use it. Mm-hmm. And I said again before pressing play that this is not one of those uh-huh. fake things where I had the wife run out to the supermarket. I actually do use this. Um, but and I've got Wakem here. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. See, perfect, yeah. right? Then you think, but, but why that category was it, was it literally like what I read out in that quote? You know, I I can see an opportunity to change something here, maybe in a an adjacent category that I know, I know about retail, I know about, you know, this sort of area that I can actually go in there and make a change. Was it, was it that?
1: Absolutely. And, and, and a few ways to make a change. I mean, where you started off it, when it comes to sustainability, there's been so much positive innovation and the beauty category within sort of more broadly personal care, I think really led the way. And, and Bulldog was definitely part of that, but in dental, it's so behind, like some of the things that the dental brands have got away with, like mixed plastic, toothpaste tubes, over a billion go into landfill every year just in the US, like black plastic caps that you can't recycle. Um, Mint on a formulation. Mint is the universal taste of toothpaste for pretty much everybody. And there's not a single brand out there that uses natural mint. Um, Yeah, I heard
0: you say that on something else I was was watching and 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 that surprised me. So what are they doing? Are they just putting chemicals into it because it's cheaper to do so and like flavour enhancement and all that?
1: Flavour enhancement to make it super intense and where you started it's really really cheap and it's uh it's a really high margin um sort of part of consumer you know consumer products for big companies like colgate so definitely there's an opportunity to try and be the the provocateur the thought leader like try and encourage the bigger brands to think more sustainably i think the other thing is just it's a cool challenge like with with men's skincare and bulldog no one had cracked this white space so so what i mean by that is you know, 90% of women are using a moisturizer two or three times a week. Like it's an established behavior. When we started Bulldog, 12 to 15% of men would use a moisturizer. And it makes no sense in the history of consumer products. We're of. going
0: back to, let me just get this timing right. About 2009, was it, or was it slightly two, earlier for Bulldog? 2006,
1: we had the idea for okay. Bulldog. We launched in 2007. You know, we, we didn't just have to get people to switch from a sort of a conventional product that they're already using to a natural product. We actually had to build this category to sort of achieve our financial goals, like get men to try moisturiser for the first time. Um, we took the the, the run-up to launching Waken more commercially is we took a big trip, or at least part of the journey from Texas to Minneapolis. We, mm-hmm. we were visiting a, a brand in Texas and we were going to see Target, a big retailer in the US. And we stopped off at 30 or 40 different Walmarts and, and Targets along the way um, through the middle of America. And you go around these stores and there's certain categories where there's a cool brand, an insurgent brand, like people have turned up with purpose, delivering sustainability, delivering fun and personality, shaking things up. We got to the mouthwash aisles and it was sort of 10 meters long, you know, lots and lots and lots of shelves, real estate, and it all looks exactly the same sort of very masculine, artificial flavors, um, from a design perspective, it feels a lot more like floor cleaner, like it really does versus beauty. It's all about like 99% killing bacteria, and it's sort of all about strength and the the semiotics, the sort of, the cues that you take from the packaging are all very, very tough. So we just thought, ah, so when I, when I say it's a low interest category, and that excites me, it's exactly that. I, I'm trying to solve a category problem in that um, no one has really come up with something disruptive that has sort of disrupted what Listerine presents as the vision of this category or disrupt what Colgate presents as the, the vision of this category. So that's, from a company perspective, what we get excited about as well. It's like bringing sustainability, changing the way that people think about these products, but also proving that what starts off as just two people around a table can actually precipitate change in industry, but also build something that can take on these juggernauts of consumer products. Let's, product
0: let's get into that. Cause like, you know, we can talk about the company, but we, let's talk about you, right? <laughs> let's talk about you because if we go back to whenever Whenever you decided to do this and you left the, was it the world of accountancy and then, you know, obviously you got into that, Um, you know, as I said, I'll do a proper introduction um, for the show. People would have heard it, but, but, you know, what was it about, you know, you back then that thought I'm going to take on something like that? Because, you know, I also want to know, is it easier to do it a second time, but we'll get to that. I want to go through the whole story really of starting a disruptive brand and taking a brand like you have done to a successful exit not so much to talk about Bulldog really, but really to talk about the journey that you went through personally.
1: Absolutely. Well, well, the journey to Bulldog, as you said, started in accountancy. I was actually doing that before university. There was a scheme, but um, it wasn't the job for me. So quite quickly, I jumped on a plane, went to New Zealand. I thought for about a year, but ended up working at a cool advertising agency over there called Saatchi and Saatchi. and then a kind of unique quirk of that was the global ceo split his time between auckland and new york so i got to know him and started to work with him on organizational change in his team but latterly it became innovation so our biggest client at the time from an advertising perspective globally at Saatchi's was procter and gamble which is you know the gold standard for consumer products in the us and we started to get plugged into their upstream uh idea generation anyway so in short that became a whole division within saatchi i was relocated to new york and we were coming up with innovation ideas solving problems for Diageo, for coca-cola samsung starbucks and i think that was good you know i learned a great deal from that formative process it's like you get to see how innovation is understood tackled how products are created at the biggest and best consumer products companies in the world and it's brilliant people brilliant technology brilliant process hugely uh, beneficial in terms of what you can learn. But to be completely honest, you also get frustrated, it's slow, people make funny decisions, you sort of think as an outsider, it gets clogged up, it's very stage gate. So a sort of simple idea in um, consumer products can take five to six years to get to market as you jump through all the hoops. So so I took both a bit of training, but also encouragement to think look, we can do this ourselves. And I think also, if you start with these conventional processes, you sort of end up with conventional products. And I think with the category challenge we saw in men's skincare, we'd have to do something a bit more out there, a bit more different. That Were you was entrepreneurial
0: before this, or did you come from a family of entrepreneurs? I just want to get an understanding of the influence. I, that I, I don't come from
1: a family of entrepreneurs. Um, I was always, to a degree, quite entrepreneurial. You know, coming up with little schemes to make money. Um, I think I think professionally, I took a bit of time to find my feet. Like uh, I always. I didn't have a clear idea about what I wanted to do when I left university. So I sort of found my way into innovation and I'm very grateful for that. I definitely had an idea that I wanted to do something for myself before I rounded up on skincare. And that was both, I think the, from a challenge perspective, what I thought was going to be most excited, but you know, would keep me the most excited and stand me in good stead to learn the most. but. Personally, my my wife is from New Zealand and I think there was also a a sort of financial aspect where, you know, great job in New York, having an enormous amount of fun, not saving a single dollar and the lifestyle I sort of wanted to shoot for with an opportunity to sort of split time between the UK and New Zealand. Easier said than done when you have three kids, which is my situation now, but I just thought (laughs) I'm not even giving myself a chance to build the lifestyle that I want, you know, And, and the biggest risk I thought was, getting to 45, which is my age now, or 50 or whatever it would be, and not even having a crack at sort of building this future for it's Anna one of the biggest, and myself uh, that we wanted to do.
0: It's one of the biggest travesties, I think, Simon, of people who don't, you know, whether, whether you, I mean, there's different types of entrepreneurs, and I, and I do a lot of talking about that myself, about startup versus scale up and all that sort of thing. Yeah. But um, if you don't lean into that sort of itch, right, you know, scratch that itch uh then you know you don't want to have that sort of life of regret at 60 right even if it doesn't work because you're still going to learn stuff and meet people and and do interesting things even if there's ups and downs all the way through that
1: there is a healthy tension between strategy and execution and one of the most and chaos and chaos yeah (laughs) and i tell you I, i i remember with bulldog the the people who I guess we're ahead and we're really generous with their time and connections, but also the people who made no time for people who are starting up with advice or, you know, the equivalent. So, you know, during Bulldog and post-Bulldog, I've always tried to make myself available for people who have ideas who, or, you know, who just want to talk about it with my view, to encourage them to get going. And I tell you, it's, there is, I would say for every 20 people I meet who has, who have an idea and a great idea or a good idea, uh, I'd, I'd like to say one of them actually get around to starting. And that's got to be the hardest thing. It's just get going. Well, let's and- talk
0: about your leap now. Let's talk about the leap. So so at the point where you first came up with the idea, where were you working at that time? Were you at um, Saatchi's or somewhere else?
1: I was at Saatchi's. And, and a really important person in my life is my business partner, Rodri, who was just a friend at that point in New York. Um, different background to me. He was finance, MA working for one of the big investment banks. and um, like a brilliant thinker and, you know, brought a lot to the table that frankly I wasn't good at, but we were both interested in entrepreneurship, creating a brand, creating something we could be proud about. Um, so yeah, it was 2005. I remember going to a Whole Food store in the US in one of like the big central Manhattan stores to buy something for Annabelle. And it was a freezing cold, sort of late November, early December day, snow on the ground, like wind whipping down the avenues. and. Um, as I sort of left the shelf with Annabelle's natural moisturizer, I thought I'm going to get something for myself. At that point, I wasn't a big sort of skincare lover or an aficionado. I just thought it's getting so cold. My face is sort of burning in the cold, um, and nothing for men. So at that point I was like, oh, it's, I can't find it in Whole Foods, which would be probably the most obvious place to find these sorts of products in New York and spoke to some of the team there and, Whereas the category, oh, it doesn't exist. Well, what do you do if a man asks for these products? It happens every now and again. We send them away with female products. And I guess that's the light bulb moment. You know, a lot of people mm, say, okay. was there a light bulb moment? And that was sort of it. You know, we thought there's at least a gap in the market here. The, cha- you, the challenge, I guess, let's, is let's play with this a gap. bit.
0: Let's play with this. I like, to, I like to get into the the spark of an idea is really fascinating to me because usually it's not one thing. It's a few things coming together, right? So you might mm-hmm. have, you know, first and foremost, I'm frustrated in this this amazing business, amazing company, but it's just a, a big company, right? And I'm stuck mm-hmm. in this and I'm, you know, I'm frustrated, but I want to try something else. Then you've got the situation where you go into to Whole Foods, right? Uh, and you've probably got this thing that I want to try and create a different life for myself, maybe a different mm-hmm. trajectory. At that point, usually, and again, I don't want to, you know, say this happened for you, but a lot of people have a number of ideas and they sort of explore a few ideas before they really dial into one. So were you evaluating other things? You know, or was it really like a serendipitous moment that all of a sudden <laughs> in this Whole Foods in New York, you know, boom, there it was. And now we're going to go and of, make this happen
1: a bit of both. And I know that's a little bit lame to sit on the, the fence, but I think once we came up with the idea for Bulldog, it was full steam ahead. And we really, right. really leaned into it to try and figure it out. But, you know, I was interested in entrepreneurship. I was working in innovation, constantly thinking about could you do this? Could you do this? I think part of the filtering we did was, you know, things that we saw an opportunity from an idea perspective, but didn't really overlap with the skill set that, you know, myself and my business partner had, you know, lots of people do restaurant brands, but we thought we'd rather work during the day than work in the evening. Um, lots of people do tech really well. Um, Roger is way ahead of me on that, but neither of us felt like we're really totally digitally savvy. We're not coding. So I think we, both had experience working with products and brands. We wanted to create something physical. So I think there was a degree of filtering in terms of the sort of thing we wanted to do. But, you know, once we came up with the idea for skincare, and just saw the potential. Um, such an said, aggressive
0: category though, isn't it? I mean, like, you know, FMCG retail type of stuff is just like, <laughs> because it has been dominated by big players for so long.
1: And they hold all the cards because it's not just down to how good is this product? You know, they've got multi brands going in, top to top opportunities, they, they can, you know, invest in so many ways out of store TV or in store in terms of the types of things that retailers sort of offer you the shopping list of extra display sites, that it's it's a really hard thing. And I think um, if we had challenges at Bulldog in say the middle period, it was that it just felt like it was going slowly. And in part, that's just because the world of retail can move quite slowly. You know, this is uh, an assortment in store that maybe revisited twice a year. So you can be in market for five years and you've only made 10 moves at the chessboard, if you know what I mean. So it's a a slow progression to move from where you start on the bottom shelf to earn your space on the shelf above, to earn yourself on, you know, it takes a long time to get to the top shelf that you would now found on Bulldog with the big display and we're bigger than Nivea, we're bigger than L'Oreal in certain markets, but that is hard fought over sort of small progressive gains over a 10 year period. How
0: did you sustain that then over that time?
1: great relationships with the retailers. I think you really have to be clear on what your brand stands for, um, the role it plays in the category, like they don't want to list products that just speak to the same people in the same way. So you have to curate a a narrative around, this is a huge opportunity, this is where the category is going. Um, You need to engender a sense of trust that you can be reliable. Um, Certainly, if you looked at the data for how Bulldog was performing, and then you looked at the share of space, We were way that the sales that we were generating in the first few years would have suggested and a purely data led perspective that we had much less, much less space in store. So I think it was
0: right. So you're punching above your way really in terms of the
1: brand and the relationships that kept us in those retailers were the crucial, crucial sort of first part.
0: Okay. And, and as I said, I want to talk about your new business as well, but I want to kind of go through this journey when you. When you were going through, let's call it the scale up piece. So you've got Mm -hmm. some traction, you know, you're starting to maybe even get a bit of momentum here and you're thinking, you know what, this is actually going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. And then you've got to start to build a team. You've got to, you know, scale it yourself before you exit the business. Looking back in hindsight now, what were some of the key learnings there that obviously you're going to apply into your new business now?
1: Yeah. I'd, I'd think about that in terms of product and brand people, processes. All of them are important i think the crucial part in the first two three years is market fit and that really is you have to get started and then you have to leave your ego at the door like you don't crack it first time you have to try and understand what's working what isn't working iterate change try and perfect your products i think as you start to scale i mean i see entrepreneurs in skincare who have great products but it's kitchen chemistry you know they're filling it off themselves if you don't have a robust supply chain uh, systems in place so that you can handle, you know, an order, you know, an order frequency that starts at one a week and moves up to two or three times a day to 20 to 30 times a day, you've got to really build your systems and processes so you can scale. Got to be totally laser focused on cash Um, you know, some of the retailers don't pay you for more than three months sometimes. And when you're earning, uh, credibility with your own supply chain. You sometimes are paying upfront. Sometimes you're paying, you know, when you, if you're sourcing stuff from third parties, you know, when you place the order rather than you receive the stock. So cash flow is, is crucial. So you've got to be really, really disciplined, really, really ship shape. I think the temptation is to try to do too much yourself. We were guilty of that. You know, we were just obsessing with learning every single part of our business and slow to recruit experts, get people in that are better than us at a certain discipline. Um, something we've tried to fix with Waken and sort so of So how were you about, doing
0: that piece? Were you trying to do all that yourself or consultants? What what did that look like?
1: Do it, I think, I think in the large part do it ourselves. And you know, I'm not a single founder as there's two founders who, you know, at that point we didn't have kids. So it was dividing to conquer, collaborating where we needed to, and what, 160 odd hours in a week? probably working a hundred out of those working weekends just being relentless you know if there was a big meeting with Tesco and we weren't happy with the deck it would stay till two or three in the morning and then go back get a couple hours sleep get on the train up to Wellin or wherever it is, and deliver the presentation that was just utter relentless um (laughs) but you know you can't keep that going forever And, and and as you start to spin more and more plates I think you have to realize that um there's just people that can add capacity to the organization, but there's also people that can add capability, expertise, and actually way better than you in certain functions. And, and, and we were just probably a little bit slow to, to get to that point. However-
0: Most founders found are, so don't worry.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's, um, you know, I totally get that. And also, because you don't really know what good looks like when you start the first time around. It's quite hard to know exactly how the future will play out over those first two years. You don't really, you know, when you're figuring it out for the first time through, it's it feels like more of a leap in the dark. I'm definitely learning in people all the time.
0: Well, there's a, there's an identity shift that tends to happen when we talk about from yeah. the startup to scale up phase, where you know what 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 got you to the place that you know got you viability or some level of traction is not the thing that's going to get you to a to a bigger place, right? Mm-hmm. Because you've got to do everything through people, so you've got to learn to trust. Right, yeah. all those things. But question, you know, that came to me when you were talking is, what was your superpower through all of this? Right, you know, you took on a lot of things, you span a lot of plates, wore a lot of hats. But what was the thing that you really, and if you went back to one, this is the thing that I really added to this that got it to where it got to.
1: The, the ability to create good relationships with external partners. I mean, okay. the the bit that I leaned into the most, uh, bulldog was the front of house. So visiting Tesco, visiting, you know, Carrefour, visiting Woolworths right. in Australia, whoever it would be, building relationships with the buyers. Um, and I had did, the opportunity- Did you have
0: investors as well at that point? Yeah, we had
1: something like 24 investors. So there's that
0: part too. So relationships must have been critical to to enable you to have the resources and the capital to be able to do this too, yeah? They,
1: they, they totally work, but we had a, I think we had a slightly different fundraising journey. Like we, we started off and we raised more than a million pounds in our seed round and right. to some people that will sound like a lot of money but really in consumer products it, it's hardly anything like you, you could you could spend double that on a tv campaign that would last two or three weeks you know when you think about everything you've got to put that money towards to get yourself going and you know i'm lucky i'm sort of in a lucky position now where i can invest in other small companies and you know i've got sort of 12 or little brands that I'm supporting, you know, on their own scale up journey. And one of the things I take away is they're always thinking about the next raise. You know, you do your seed, you do your second seed, you do your series A, you do your series, whatever, you know, with Bulldog, we raised money. We had to go back to investors once for 200 odd thousand pounds, just around a sort of cash flow issue. But other than that, we just grew within our own means. So I think we went slower Mm -hmm, than a lot of consumer brands do to, understand what was working, try and get the shape of the PL so that we were profitable and then we could cover our own overhead. And then we sort of grew within our own constraints from that point onwards.
0: Yeah, I wanna draw a line under that because it's funny, as I said, I advise a number of different companies. I tend to work more on the scale-up phase versus the startup for, for lots of different reasons, but there's still uh, an investment need in many of the businesses that I'm involved in. Mm. And I can't say enough. And I just wanna you know applaud what you just said that you get so distracted through the raise and if you have to keep on going out there and raising which yeah. also means you're adding complexity which also means you're adding more people potentially around the board table yeah. that can stifle right that journey yeah. that you guys went through um cool okay well let's listen let's talk um about the exit now um as i said at the, from the outset i'm more interested in the emotional journey of it um the timing um when you when you knew it was the right time why you did it those sort of things mm-hmm. Um, and then I want to talk about why you're doing it again. <laughs> Let's go well, through Well,
1: the, the exit, first of all, was to a big American company called Edgewell who own Wilkinson Sword in Europe and Schick in America. And they've been terrific. The, there was definitely a tension in my head though, because <clears throat> I think I was playing off what's the right time for the company and the brand to find a big corporate partner and what's the right time for myself. And I think, you know, the challenge when you look back is, is was it a bit early? And I think potentially it, it could have been, you know, financially, professionally. But the point at which we were approached by some really big and exciting uh, consumer products companies from America, and then also a few from Europe, was at a point where we had for five or six years been building out Bulldog in the natural specialty retail channel in the US, so Whole Foods predominantly, and we were the number one men's brand in most of their regions and that's nice and serendipitous isn't it
0: It to to walk back into the store did you go back to the new york store and 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 walk in there and say oh look
1: yeah no um i did but not to score points but just to sort of you know there's there is a there's a few points on the journey where you can sort of look back and go you know take some pride in what you've been able to to build Um, but we the previous year we sort of crossed the chasm into the drug channel, and we had two thousand Walgreens stores, and I'd been focusing on building our distribution. You know, and I'd signed up Target and Walmart and CBS and we were going deep in Walgreens. You know, two thousand to eight thousand odd stores, and there was you know various different grocery chains. And American retail is vast. You know, like you, you know, there's this chain of supermarkets is six hundred stores, and you know only is in one state. So we were building up all this distribution, and. My business partner was working on the the ability for us to supply products to all of these stores, and we had a had a logistics partner that was sort of letting us down. And we just got the idea that uh, you know we're building the channel tunnel from England to France, and were the were the sort of tunnels going to meet in the middle, and were we going to be able to cope with this huge demand that Bulldog was going to go under in the US and. And the caution we tell from lots of British brands that are sort of ambitious in America is like going into the Champions League to sort of still a sort of football metaphor is um, a lot of a lot of cool British brands screw it up. And we just thought we don't want to make that mistake. So it's kind of from a perspective of a big strategic company coming in with all the infrastructure, people, processes to say, hey, we, we see we see huge potential in this brand. Can we talk? like, have you ever thought about selling or partnering? It just felt like the right time for the brand. So, so when I reflect on it, I think definitely the right time for bulldog and, and the the sort of testament to that is it's sort of scaled more than five times since then at retail, I think it's okay. probably doing 150, 200 odd million. And we've also gone into new product categories, like the most sustainable razor and blade solution that's out there um, with bamboo, with recycled glass. And that's also been really cool. They brought capabilities to, deliver some innovation goals that I think standalone, we would never been able to do. So it wasn't, you
0: didn't necessarily run a process here. This was a knock on the door situation.
1: We did, we did run a process, but what we didn't do was pull together a deck and hawk it around 40 or 50 right. different uh, companies or private equity firms or whoever it may be. We only got in touch with the seven or eight companies that had knocked on the door along the journey to say, hey, we're interested. Um, just keep us in the loop if. How did, how did you
0: make that decision? Uh, both both that strategy and the timing.
1: The timing. I think we always hoped that someone would interrupt us. I think we thought that would be the best way to start a conversation like that. You know, we're not quite ready to go, but if if you must, like, it would have to. You'd have to give us a good offer. Um, and then I think we applied a degree of strategic filtering to the the companies that we wanted to speak to. Like, we worked with a sort of expert third party. I think we eliminated some companies that we were just too small for them. Um, you know, they're looking to make nine figure acquisitions rather than, you know, eight figures. Um, we didn't speak to one company because it was a huge rival of ours. did not want them to kick around our data room and then decide not to do it. But sort of still, well, sometimes, the sometimes, so,
0: sometimes they close businesses down. I mean, if you look yeah. at it in the tech space, you know, some brands are required just to be closed, right, which is terrible yeah. when you think about the value yeah. that's been created by you guys. Mm-hmm. The reason I'm probing this a little bit is um, I, I did, oh. a, did a talk yesterday to some private equity firms in London, and uh, you're kind of paraphrasing all the things that I said are best practice. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, again, for everyone listening here, so I, I tend to have a, um, a slightly different view of how you um, create a successful exit. and. And the idea of being shopped, right, which is what you described there, you know, make a pretty deck and put it out to every man This dog, yeah. is just such a poor way to get a great outcome. And there's a lot of reasons for it because, you know, I think a lot of founders need to, to own where their company goes, mm-hmm. right? And you've already articulated that you you landed it in a place, which obviously probably worked for you in terms of your own personal terms, but allowed the business to get the resources, the network, to, to take it to the next level which you know perhaps you and your founder would have struggled to do mm-hmm. certainly wouldn't have been able to do within the time frame right mm-hmm. that's true and, and and a lot of a lot of founders just don't think like that at all it, and it,
1: none of the none of the companies in our process was a cold stop you know these are these are all people that we'd have met you know and it, when, it, when the the business development teams from the big companies get in touch i'd always meet them and Conversations would sort of say we, you know, just dis- discuss the brand. They'd say we really like it. It would start off with, can we do anything to help? Like, can we partner? Or is there any markets yeah. we can need to say, well, uh-huh. you know, thank you, but at the moment we're okay. And then it would always be, well, look, just, just stay in touch. And if you ever do want to have a proper conversation with stay in touch. And we just did. So, you know, a lot of the a lot of the teams we knew when it came around to that moment. Right.
0: Okay. Well, let's let's last question on this, because I think you've you've covered some really, really important topics. The day that um, everything was signed and sealed, you know, sale mm-hmm. and purchase agreement, all that. What would you do?
1: Um, it was a long day because we got to <laughs> our lawyers and we were ready to go, and we just had to sit around for about five hours or so uh, while we were waiting for the other team to say, "Yeah." We're we're ready waiting to go. for
0: transfers of things and all that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: So um, we turned off our phones and we just sort of sat out and had coffee, and then it all went through and you know, you have to, we, 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 we took a a couple of our signing documents, which sounds like a lot, but we had to sign on behalf of all the different investors. And then we had a few drinks and uh, just actually quite a quiet dinner with um, my wife, Rodri, Rodri's wife. I mean, it wasn't like a hugely euphoric moment. It wasn't quite how I imagined it would be partly because you're so tired through the process, but also we had, a requirement to keep things confidential. So not everybody in our team knew about it at that point. And we were gonna tell the team the following day. And we'd, ha- and we'd sort of very deliberately, as part of the process meant that everybody kept their jobs and we'd keep the same office. So it wasn't gonna be disruptive, but we just felt quite, I felt personally quite daunted about that. Like how was that gonna go down? What would the team think? Um, and it was actually really good, but it was, it was sort of after we'd done the, after we'd signed the forms, that was the first thing I was thinking about getting the whole of the team on board, that this is a good idea.
0: It's often an anti-climax. Yeah. (laughs) And you're right, what you said there is so true because the the process leading up to, I don't know how long your process was, but sometimes it can be months and months, these things, and you just get battle-worn, right? So when the the thing actually happens, it's more of a relief and you probably just want to go to bed for a couple of days (laughs) as opposed to... That's true, but
1: but the, the process is, it takes a long time, but you're also running the business. So you've got two jobs for that six months rather than... job so it's a very demanding thing and and part and um you don't necessarily know that there will be a transaction so you continue in your business day to day to plan for the long term assume that it's not going to happen um at least that was our view and then it did happen fantastic we've still taken a really long-term view about how we're planning for the future planning for growth recruiting sort of investing in the brand um That's why way that we did it.
0: Awesome! Thank you so much for demystifying some of those points. Very, very good. So then you you're there for a while, right? Doing earnouts and all that sort of stuff. Um, when did you officially leave um, Bulldog?
1: Um, the full time role ended at the end of two thousand and eighteen. So it was two years. Really interesting two years. I was predominantly focused on the scale up internationally from twelve to thirty five countries. So it was actually a lot of time out of the UK. Uh, training teams, visiting retailers, sort of just getting things up and running and all of the places where we wanted to scale. And that was a big reason why the company that bought us bought us is they thought if it, you know, we've proved success in the UK, we've proved success in a few other countries, but there's so much of the world that has the same boring products before Bulldog turns up. So yeah, it was a really fun two years, but ultimately the attraction of going back to the beginning and trying to, precipitate something out of nothing was more appealing than uh you know working at that point within a huge organization with 50 odd people on a team's call or whatever it would be you know so, how long was the break, the so
0: you leave in 20, 2018 and then you um start the new company um, oh not not long
1: nick like it was a <laughs> couple of months but um, no.
0: what, what about no, like you know
1: the taking off with the family and just doing nothing well for yeah you. we we um my, my, as I said, my wife's a New Zealander and we have three kids that have British and New Zealand passports. So we, and they were at that point, it was, it was, it was, sort of early enough to take them out of school for a longer period. So we had a good Kiwi summer, you know, six or seven weeks or something, but then we came back determined to go, and we were just sort of so excited by Waken and what could a brand that looks beautiful is formulated naturally is sort of brought to life in a sustainable way, what, what can that do against uh, Colgate and Listerine? And, and you know, I say it can be a lot bigger. And I really believe that just because the starting point is that the dental category is one of the biggest product categories in the whole world. You know, it's 45 billion US dollars worldwide every year. And it's dominated by these companies that have a really conventional view. So we were, we were really excited about it. We went from a, a standing start in, say, January 2019 to a launch with Boots and Sainsbury's at the end of October, beginning of November 2019. Right,
0: pre just pre pandemic.
1: <laughs> yeah, four four months of um, business as usual. Like the launch is going, we're sort of leaning back in our chairs, thinking, "Oh, that's been good. Like we're up and running." And then it are, all are you goes, ahead? Of, it I mean, obviously,
0: yeah. I mean, pandemic's crazy. You know, for, for supply chain issues and talents and all that stuff. Yeah, but. Um, do you feel having done it once, you know, from the, from the start to the, to the exit, so to speak, um, do you feel much more comfortable now? Like, you know, um, because your, your level of knowledge of a, the category, b how bigger markets are, bigger markets and bigger players operate. You must have an incredible amount of experience now to be able to do it more quickly, more precisely.
1: More precisely perhaps, but actually I I do sort of look at some of the stuff we've done with Waken and we've, you know, we've changed quite a few things. We've made mistakes. Like we've, we've been slow to launch whitening products, which we've just launched, but that's a huge part of the market. We were in part waiting for the appropriate formula to do it, you know, avoiding certain more aggressive chemicals like hydrogen peroxide. We don't use that. Um, but there's certain parts of building a consumer brand that I think take time. You know, I was talking about how you start with a smaller listing, and then it's a year before you can get a slightly less smaller listing. And and it's hard to speed that up in the channels that we're in. And that can be frustrating as well because you see the potential in the space. And your reputation
0: to get, and network doesn't help here. De- like, no, if- it definitely,
1: definitely, definitely helps. Like it would be remiss of me to say that it doesn't help. Like we've got more insight, more knowledge. Like we've built all of our systems and processes uh, in a way that can scale so much bigger than we are now, like, 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 you know, the, the systems that we have, we could run a billion dollar company on. Um, so, so so sort of behind the scenes, we're absolutely ready to scale. The challenge is winning the distribution. And if you miss this big range reset, which is what they call it, you've got to wait a whole year before you get another chance to sort of properly launch a brand in, in some of these retailers. And, and the reality was during the lockdowns, and this isn't me complaining, but it's the, the retailers had to focus on other stuff, like very quickly pivoting to become almost full time online retailers, you know, when perhaps that was ten percent of their sales before. Keeping the nation fed, you know, uh, our biggest competitor had a huge popularity increase. You know, Listerine became a really, really popular product during COVID because people thought it could fight the virus. Was um, oh, that
0: right? Okay, what, what was? I, I don't
1: think is actually true. Like, was that was that, of, was
0: that a marketing play?
1: Not, really, <laughs> not really, not really for me to say, but. Um, certainly google would suggest a a connection um so 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 the traditional expression of the products had had like actually for a category that has been in sort of long-term decline as people trade away from this category and mouthwash is losing its relevance suddenly had a big boost so so the combination of the retailers dealing with the lockdown and then the traditional brands doing quite well made it i mean we still built an enormous amount of distribution but but it just hasn't been as quick as perhaps i hoped for
0: and did you focus that launch first in the UK or did you go straight to the big market
1: US for uh, we're not in the US at the moment like okay. that's a huge that's a huge opportunity but something that we you know when you when you think about your international strategy i think you've got to be really strategic and america remains the biggest opportunity for dental but it also requires a level of resource and sophistication that we we don't yet have and, I, and we're still i mean the products have really improved over the last two years, but there's still a couple of things we want to do. So we want to put our best face forward when we launch, but we've got to think really carefully about the right channel strategy. And dental is also regulated in a a different way in the US. It's, it's a drug because of fluoride, whereas over here, it's regulated as a cosmetic. And the implication of that for us is it's a whole new supply chain, different types of manufacturers and theoretically do it in the US because that would be more sustainable, but also that's where the expertise is for the FDA. So. There's a bit of complexity in in doing the US too. Did you know, but we'd did love you know to all of
0: this beforehand? <laughs> <laughs> no.
1: Well, you know, I, sh- I should have. But there's there's similarities between what we're doing at Waken and what we're doing at Bulldog. But it's it's a huge learning experience every day. So, so we're we're unearthing interesting quirks about the dental industry around the world all the time, and that's part of the fun.
0: Was there ever a point? I mean, obviously, you know, you said there's only a couple of months between launching a whole new business and brand versus saying goodbye to another one to some extent. Was there ever a point where you thought, actually, I don't oh. want to do this? Or did your wife, you know, what I call, my wife's the boss, right, in my family. Um, did, yeah. did she ever come and say, why, why you've just done this for years? Why are you doing this again?
1: Well, no, not really, because I think she, she loves it. She loves the challenge too. And actually, I mean, if, I, if I'm being honest, when, when we, were, we had our lockdown and I was working from home all the time, I used to get told off because my voice is too loud Um, or (laughs) uh, I was, I was just off around too much. So I think actually she was, no, I mean, I'm being a bit mean, but sort of the return to the office was really cool for me because I love working in an office and I love the space and I love the energy, but I, and I think it was probably quite good for home life because I was just not. um, Yeah. Around drinking coffee and sort of being on big conference calls shouting, you know. So she quite liked that too. When I left,
0: so you just got to buy a bigger house, or you've got to get soundproofing How is that. <laughs> Hard in London
1: because everything's so you know. Titty Everyone is small, very anyway. dinky. Yes, yeah. indeed.
0: So what's what's next um, for Wakens? What what's what are you what are you aiming to do over the you know the sort of let's call it the short term and the medium term?
1: Short term, continue to do what we're doing, which is learn from consumers, optimize the products. I mean, we want to be the best dental brand out there. So We are improving our efficacy and what we can say about how the products perform, you know, they perform brilliantly on our whitening. For example, we're eight shades whiter. So we've got really strong claims and that's so important. And it's a lazy shorthand, um, to think that because you're natural and sustainable, you're not effective. So that's a huge principle for us is to sort of make amazing products. But the story that we're trying to tell is these products can be beautiful. You don't have to hide them away. At the back of the cabinet um these products can be sustainable these products can create really amazing experiences like you don't have to have an experience with a regular mouthwash where it almost burns your mouth it can be something that's you know intense refreshing but also enjoyable so we've got a lot of work to do to get these products into consumers hands um make the brand famous uh, so so people feel more encouraged to try it there's there's, there's retailers where we think we've got a clear role to play that we don't have a chance to play, um, haven't been listed yet. So much more work to do on that. We, we do have an international business. So we have a really exciting opportunity in Korea where we've just launched with the biggest beauty retailer over there, Olive Young. We have a special partnership with S. Watson, which is the world's biggest health and beauty retailer in terms of stores. So you can find Waken in Malaysia and Singapore, um, soon to be on the shelves in Turkey. So. There's a, there's a lot going on, um, but a lot of work to do. I think over the medium term, I, I think it's going to be a huge business. And I think we can become a really, uh, important branded mouthwash, a really important branded toothpaste. I think online as well, there's more work to do, but I think we can get into accessories. I think there's, there's a whole host of things we can actually do online to sort of expand this vision we have, for uh, taking care of your whole smile, um,
0: do you have do you have a sense you know last couple of questions really do you have a sense of that scale um, like are you thinking you know what i want, i want to make this double the size of bulldog or or do you not think of it like that you just think i'm just going to serve as many people in the right way as possible and what what will be will be
1: yeah d- d- build, build a great brand build a really strong cohesive brand that stands for something for people and and build a business of scale like like i have no interest in it being small like i want it to be big i want it to compete but um I mean, second time through, we don't have any um, uh, sort of pressure to to sort of, we've you know, we've been able to buy a house. So, you know, before I was sort of living credit card to credit card and we had a really small flat. So to a degree, we, we can take longer to sort of do it. And I, I think if you look at the mission and you look at, you know, how big the category is, but also how far it's behind on trends like sustainability and naturals, I think this could be, a huge business but i I think to do that we're going to need to be driving this and pushing this and challenging the bigger brands and are getting more consumers in over the next 10 15 20 years so you know watch this space i would say there you
0: go well, Simon, I'm going to wrap that up, my friend, because if you've just done a, a lovely masterclass, you know, maybe you don't even realize it yet, of uh, of the journey. <laughs> the That's journey is so nice many people, so many people. Yeah. I, I get like ten or twenty messages a day asking about this stuff, right? And mm-hmm. and not many people um, have. Well, you know, you've had a successful exit, but you've also gone through the the pillars of those sort of things. And and you know, thanks for being very vulnerable about some of those points today. I think it's important for people to understand that. But also, I think. You know the one thing i will say is just because it's not going to be easy doesn't mean you shouldn't try it right and have a go because you know i think you'll probably agree with me that it's probably worth all the effort and all the journey the upside yeah. and downside you have been through
1: and the other thing i'd say on that is like what's the worst that can happen you know like three years it goes bankrupt and you've scratched that itch but you can probably go back and get a job similar to what you had before like i really believe that like i think the biggest risk is not trying at all. So, so yeah, get started and just crack on. That would be, you know, my advice to almost everybody I talk to that has an idea and is sort of toying up. Should I start? Should I not start?
0: Awesome. Well, listen, um, thank you for your time, Simon. It's been awesome. Where can people reach you if they want to get in touch? And I'm sure there'll be some budding founders. <laughs> yeah, get, get
1: get onto the Waken website. It's wakencare.com. And there's a, there's an email that is hello at wakencare.com. And, um, uh, between myself and the, my other founding partner Rodri, we read every single one of those emails so yeah, email, email me at uh, wakingcare.com.
0: Okay, we'll put that into uh, all the show notes and all that sort of stuff as well so Simon Duffy, an absolute pleasure a delayed conversation but I'm so glad we managed to get the time to have this thank you for coming on the show today
1: Me too Nick, thank you for having me
0: or to find out how you can get more help in scaling up your business and your life, click the link in the show notes now to learn about our coaching, mentoring, and mastermind programs. See you soon.